Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Grace. You guys will stand. We get to sing together, so let's sing it out.
positions in all circumstances controls all things. So even if you're going through a hard time right now, we have the, the pleasure of being able to say, God, you can be worshipped even in this moment. So let's just sing this out as a church. Um, it'll be our cry that we'll worship him at all times. Thank you. 
Join me this morning in a time of meditation and reflection as we uh, read from God's Word. If you just bow your heads, I'll be reading select verses from the 22nd chapter of Genesis. And then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw that place in the distance. And he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the word for, wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered him, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for, in the first book of your word, showing us what you would do for us. Lord, we know that you asked Abraham to do something that you knew yourself would do. We thank you for sparing Isaac. And at the same time, we thank you for not sparing your son. And for allowing him to shed his blood as an offering for the sins of us all. And sometimes, Lord, we struggle to understand why you want blood but God we admit that we try and understand that in our human mind and that our mind is not your mind I just thank you again Lord for the blessing of the blood I pray all those things in your son's name Amen just as we enter this time of confession take this time to admit that we are broken and in need of our God and thank him for taking our place on the cross so let's sing these words together
place this morning, God, and throughout this week, Lord, I pray that, God, you will give us the desire to know you and make you known, God, to proclaim that you are amazing, God, God, who's above all things, Lord, help us to take hold of that, God, we pray that that will continue to be true in our lives, God, that you will be first in our lives. God, help us to hear your word now. God, help us to know that it is truth. God, and help us to take hold of it. That will be part of our lives. God, help us to listen now. And to your name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning again. If you will open up your Bibles, if you have one, you can open up your Bible to Romans chapter 8. We'll be in Romans today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some under the chairs that you can borrow, and we're on page 944 in those black Bibles, if you want to grab one of those. Um, we finished our series that we were studying in 2 Timothy last week, and I have to tell you I've been a little depressed about that, because I kind of fall in love with the book when I've been studying it for so long and, and teaching through it, uh, and it, it's a little hard to let go. But uh, we enjoyed our time in Second uh, Timothy talking about God's designs for us as a church and how a church should be led and, and what the purpose of a church is, and uh, that was a good time. And we're going to start a summer series called In God's Family. And uh, as I've been praying about it and talking to the elders about what we would do for the summer, we thought it'd be good to kind of do something a little more topical and kind of look at family dynamics a little bit, uh, talk about the different roles that we have in life, what it means uh, to be in the workplace, to be a good employee, a good employer, what it means to fulfill your roles well in your family, what it means to, to be single if you don't have a family, and just kind of look at those different dynamics and, and how those fit together. And, and as I began putting this together and kind of studying for this, as you know, uh, Bible is our middle name here, right? Uh, Grace Bible Church. And, and so we try to be led by the scriptures, even as the Lord uh, encouraged us to teach through certain topics. Uh, I want to allow the scriptures to lead me in how we would do that. And, and so I, I immediately thought of Ephesians and Colossians, two of the shorter books that Paul wrote, because really the second half of those books are all about those kinds of role dynamics. You know, what is your role in life and how do you fulfill that role as a Christian? And a lot of parallels in both Ephesians and in Colossians, and, and in both of those books, they base your, your living out of those roles on your position as being in God's family, and that that's the primary identity we have. See, a lot of times we can kind of disconnect and think, well, he's talking about this role, and that's not my role, so it doesn't matter to me, or he's talking about that role, and that doesn't really matter. Um, but all of these are tied together, whatever position in life you have, 
they're all tied together by being in God's family. And that's what he bases everything else that we're supposed to do in life, how we're supposed to live this life. It's based out of this launching pad of, of belonging to God, that that's our primary identity. And whatever role we have in this earth, you know, it may be temporary. We have this role for a time and some other role for a time. Uh, but we have this permanent, important primary identity as being God's children. And so in Ephesians 5, before he goes into what it looks like to be a parent or a child or to be single or to be a worker or be an employee, he, he says, first of all, as dearly beloved children, you should imitate God and live out that role. In Colossians 3.12, he says, as, as chosen ones of God, dearly beloved, you should live out your role as God's people in whatever role he calls you to. And in Romans 8, he does the same thing. I'm coming to Romans 8 now because it's a little more substantial. There's a little more detail here, a little more fleshing of this out. But he's talking about what it means to be his children. There's this interesting uh, essay by C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you're familiar, familiar with Lewis, but he is actually a speech, I guess, and you can find it online as an essay as well. But he talks about this kind of human dynamic of wanting to break into the inner ring is what he talks about it. So, so no matter what role you have in life, whether you're talking about like in a family reunion or you're talking about in a neighborhood or in a workplace, sometimes there's this invisible inner ring of, of wanting to count, of wanting to matter and trying to break in to that inner ring and feeling like an outsider. And I think all of us feel that sometimes, whether, whether you have a family, you don't have a family, whether you're single or married or you have a million kids or a big extended family or, you know, whatever your position in life, you can you can still feel lonely, and you can still feel like an outsider. And Lewis argues in this speech that he gave that that, that actually ends up driving a lot of human behavior, that we're willing to cut corners, we're willing to make sacrifices that we didn't think we would have made before, just to break into that inner circle, just so that the important people will think well of us, whoever those people may be in any given situation. And so I think it's important that we start here in Romans 8 talking about the reality that we've broken into the most important inner ring that you can break into. And we didn't break into it on our own. It's God, by his mercy, has adopted us into his family. He has brought us into his inner circle. We belong to him so that we can come and go in whatever circle in life God calls us to with a great freedom and a great joy, knowing that we're taken care of, that he loves us. And so this is the foundation. This is where we have to start before we look at any other role you may have in life. We'll start off in verse 12. We're going to be in chapter 8. We're going to read from verse 12 through verse 17. So why don't you follow along with me. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, but not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In the NIV translation, a lot of us use, it says, the, the, uh, the spirit of sonship. We have this sonship. Whole ministries have, have named themselves that sonship. We have this adoption as sons. We belong to him. We're in his circle. It says in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. 
Father God, we, uh, we ask you to teach us. And we come as your children and uh, ask for your spirit to, to open our eyes. Help us to listen, Lord. Help us to trust you that you do love us. Help us to understand the great riches that we have in you. Help us to uh, live in freedom as a result of that. That we would make an impact in our communities and in the circles that you place us because we belong to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of my favorite scenes uh, from a recent movie is a scene in a movie that just came out a few months ago. And in this movie, you see a, a young man walking along the side of the road, and it's a cold, kind of rainy night. And this young man's walking out on the side of the road, and he's shivering because he's just wearing shorts and a T-shirt. And this wealthy family drives by and sees him walking down the road without a coat and, you know, without proper protection. And the mom tells the husband, pull, pull over, pull over. I need to check, check on him, make sure he's okay. She says, Michael, where are you going? He says, I'm going to the gym. And they're like, well, the gym is closed. Why are you going to the gym? And he said, well, it's warm there. And they're like, do you have a place to stay? No. So they said, just, just get in the car. They take him home with them because he has no place to stay. He'd been staying with a friend and got kicked out of that place. His mom couldn't keep him anymore. And now he's out walking all alone all by himself, shivering in the cold. And his family, because God loves them, knows that they need to love other people. And so they just take him into their own home. And they give him a bed. And she buys him clothes. And she feeds him. And they end up educating him. And they end up adopting him as their very own. There's this great line in the movie uh, where the dad says, we were wondering if you would like to become part of this family. And it's after they've been feeding him and taking care of him and loving him. And he said... I kind of thought I already was. And I don't know if you've seen the, the movie The Blind Side, but it's this, this great movie about this idea, this same picture that we see in scriptures, that, that this person that's, that's off on their own, that's been abandoned, that's been abused, that's been hurt, is taken in, is loved, is cared for, and is made a part of this family. And that's the story that we have as God's people. It says, by faith, if we trust in God and, and what he's done for us, that he brings us into his family, that he adopts us, that he makes us his very own. That even though we rebelled against God, we sinned and we said, I don't want you in my life, God, and we've gone and we've done our own thing, God finds us walking along the road and, and takes us back in. He says, come home with me. You're my child. You belong to me. And if by faith we trust in that, if we trust in him to be our father, and he makes us his very own. He makes us his children. As I said before, that becomes our primary identity that enables us then to walk in and out of whatever role and whatever lot in life that God gives us. We're able to do that because we belong to him. Because that's our primary role. That's our primary identity is, is his son. We have this sonship in him. The first thing that we see in these first few verses in 12, 13, and 14 is that we have life in God's family. Clickers aren't working. There we go. We have life in God's family. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So he's saying it's kind of a paradox, right? You're not really living if you're living according to your flesh. You're actually killing yourself. If you live according to your own flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If you trust in Him, instead of trusting in yourself, in your, your own flesh, 
You're his son. You're his child. And when he uses this term son, that's, that's not something to exclude ladies. Really, as we'll see, you know, he talks about inheritance and all these things. He's talking about the rights of a firstborn son that gets everything that belongs to the father. So I'm a secondborn son. Well, I have rights as a firstborn son. You may be a daughter. Well, you have rights as a firstborn son. So no matter who you are, no matter how far outside you feel, how much you feel like you don't belong, how much you feel like you are just walking down the road all by yourself and nobody cares, God says, if you trust in me, if you rely on my spirit and don't rely on your own flesh to get you through this, I will make you my very own child. I'll make you mine. And I'll give you life. Even though we continue to try to rely on ourselves, and, and it kills us. It begins poisoning us. I, I was thinking about this dynamic of being a parent of young children. And, and my parent, my, or my children are older now, so I don't quite live in the same kind of style of parenting any longer. But when your kids are younger, a, a large portion of what it means to be a parent is just trying to keep them alive. Can you, all, can you all relate to that? Anybody with young kids or anybody that's babysat young children? I mean, a big part of your job is just trying to keep these kids alive. And there's this kind of nervousness you feel all the time, you know, this anxiety, like, where are they? You know, are they still alive? And, and, and you're just always trying to to keep them going, because kids just do stupid stuff, you know, they're always crawling into things and jumping off of things and just doing stuff, and you're like, wait, no, don't touch that, you know, and you're just, you're trying to protect them. I remember uh, this thing that we brought home in the 70s, anybody remember this sticker? Have you seen this? This is Mr. Yuck. Um, Mr. Yuck is something that they would give us back in the 70s, maybe they still do it, I don't know, but it was the sticker to remind kids uh, that certain things were poison and that you shouldn't eat them or drink them or touch them, right? And so they would have you come home and you're supposed to work through with your family and put the Mr. Yuck stickers on all the poisonous bad things in your house. Because I guess the skull and crossbones, just kids thought that was cool, like pirates or something, so that wasn't really... That, the old poison symbols don't work anymore. They have to come up with the turquoise, green, whatever, fluorescent green uh, weird face there. So that's supposed to remind the kid, that, you know, don't touch that, and then it also has the, the number in case you do ingest some poison and calling the poison control center. And that's, that's kind of what a loving father does for us in the scriptures, is he marks things clearly for us and says, those are bad things that are going to hurt you. That's poison. And as we learn to trust him, we start actually believing him. And it's this dynamic that we go through in life, right? We, we kind of go through life trying the poison and doing these things and thinking at first, hey, that's not bad. And God said it was a sin, but it feels pretty good to me. You know, and we kind of try these things out and... And then we kind of find ourselves hitting dead ends. We, we realize that it is poisoning us, that it is hurting us, and it begins to enable us to maybe trust him some more. And it's this dynamic in the Christian life that is described here. And there's this great, I talked about this earlier, there's this great uh, essay by John Owen, who's a Puritan, so it's kind of hard to understand, but it's called On the Mortification of Sin, which basically means the killing of sin in your life. And he talks about this process as a Christian of obeying these verses of trying to take the poison in your life and say, no, I'm not going to keep drinking the poison, but I'm going to trust that my Heavenly Father actually loves me and knows what is good for me. And I've, I've made it clear as we've talked about this other times that, that the Christian life does not mean you make that right choice every time, does it? Uh, if you do, I'd like to get to know you and you can begin counseling me. But for most of us, it, it doesn't mean you make that right choice every time. What it means is this process of, of back and forth, learning to trust God, learning that when he's marked something as poison, it, it's right. He's not just trying to ruin your fun, but he actually loves you. 
He's actually trying to preserve you. He's actually trying to give you life. And that's part of what it means to, uh, to belong to God, to be in God's family. So just as a loving parent tries to keep their kids alive, our Heavenly Father also tries to keep us alive. And He leads us and He says, do these things because they'll give you life. And these other things are going to hurt you. You need to stay away from these things. And they're not just like arbitrary rules that are made up. In a postmodern world, we have this kind of utilitarian view of life. You know, we just kind of use things and if it feels good to me, I use it. Or if I want it or if I can use it to get the job done for me, I use it. But we don't understand the nature of things. And we don't understand that God has created the universe. And He knows what works and He knows what doesn't work. And there's a nature to certain things that are supposed to be used in certain ways. And there are things that are great gifts from God that are blessings to us for us to enjoy. But when we take them and abuse them or, or worship them or or become overly infatuated with them, then they begin to hurt us. And so we need to come to our Heavenly Father for guidance, because we don't always understand what's good and what's bad. We, we need Him to teach us, because He's wired the universe in that way. It's, it's not just arbitrary, it's not just God kind of making up rules willy-nilly as He goes along, but this is how He's created the world. And so when He tells us what's good and what's not good, we need to listen to Him. We need to begin to trust Him. I, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes my kids don't trust me. Has that ever happened to you? Do you have kids? Or maybe if you were a kid? Anybody here used to be a kid? Anybody? Hey, did you ever have a hard time trusting your parent? Sometimes you would think maybe they don't have your best interest in mind. Sadly, some of us had parents maybe that they didn't. They didn't have our best interest in mind. And so this may be difficult for you. But the scriptures promise that your heavenly father is everything that a father should be. You may not have had that kind of parent. But God is the perfect parent that really does love you. And, and as you grow in the Christian life, it'll be this dynamic of beginning to trust Him and beginning to, by the help of the Spirit, it says, by the Spirit put to death those misdeeds of the body. Put those things away. Stop drinking the poison and begin trusting in Him to give you life. And as you do that, in that process, you will begin to really, truly live. That's the promise that we have. The next thing that we see is, it's not only do we have life in God's family, but we have confidence in God's family. You click forward one more, my clicker is not working. We have confidence in God's family. He says in verse 15 and 16, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Or like I said in the NIV, it says sonship. We have this adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We, we have a certain boldness. We have this kind of presumption. We can just run and jump into His arms because He's our Daddy. It's this, this incredible thing that Jesus began to teach His disciples early on. You never really saw it in the Old Testament, this idea of God as our Father. But Jesus taught His disciples to pray that way. Our Father who art in heaven. He said, come to Him and call Him Daddy. He's your father that loves you. You are in his family. And that's this new dynamic, this boldness, which we can come before the, the most powerful being in the universe and call out to him, Abba Father. I found this old picture of John John Kennedy walking with, with President JFK back in the 60s. And that's a great image of this little kid being able to run into the presence of the most powerful man in the world. You know, just imagine John John running down the hall past the guys in the black suits and past the guys with the machine guns and just able to run and jump 
into his father's arms. And none of those guys were like, hey, who do you think you are, little kid? Get out of here. No, I mean, that's, that's his daddy. JFK was his dad, his father. And, and that's the relationship that we have with the God of the universe. We have a boldness. We can come before him. And, and what's really cool here is, is it promises that the Spirit himself actually bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That that's that cool thing that God does in our life. This, this subjective feeling of being his child. We talk a lot about the objective truth, right? The objective truth that just stands alone as it is that we are God's children by faith in God. And we talk about that a lot, that there will be times when you don't feel like God's children, right? There will be times when you need to hide God's word in your heart. You need to memorize scripture. You need to preach the gospel to yourself. You need to listen to music that reminds you that you belong to him because you're going to have days when you will forget it. You will have days when you don't remember, when you doubt it, when you don't know if he really loves you anymore and you need to speak scripture to yourself. You need to preach the gospel to yourself and remind yourself of this objective reality. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for you. That, that he gave himself for you to bring you into his family. You need to continue to teach yourself that. Don't just wait to hear it at church, but remind yourself every day. Meditate on that truth. But there's also this cool promise that there's this subjective feeling that God implants in us. And I don't feel this all the time, but sometimes God gives me this gift that he's talking about here in verse 16. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And you remember, and you feel it, that you belong to him. And God encourages you to work those things together. The objective reality of Scripture, reminding yourself of this truth and that subjective feeling that the Spirit plants in your heart, reminding you, testifying within you that you belong to Him. Remember that you are His. You are His child. So that in hard times, you call out to Him. How many of you, when you have a hard thing going on in your life, you don't have to raise your hand, sorry, I keep doing that, but how many of you, I, I do this, you have something bad going on in your life and you hide from God, right? You think maybe he's ticked off at you. You think, oh man, I, I messed things up, so I better get my life in order so that I can come back into his presence again. Instead of allowing those hard things to, to propel you to call out to him, to cry out to him, Abba, Father, like it talks about here. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. We call out to him. We cry to him. It's not a formal relationship, but it's the relationship of a child jumping into the arms of a father that loves him perfectly. And, and this is what gives us this, this confidence, like I talked about earlier, to move into any circle. It's a confidence that we have, a boldness to call out to him at any moment. And that equips us to go wherever he calls us. How many of you knew somebody cool growing up? Anybody? I, I didn't know anybody, so I was hoping maybe some of you did. But the cool people I've heard are these people that don't care what people think about them, right? Do you think that's a fair definition of what it means to be cool? I mean, I'm sure there's other definitions. But at some level, to be cool is to not really care what other people think of you. And you've got this cool, you've got this confidence that allows you to kind of go anywhere and do anything, and people are like, wow, they're cool, right? <laughs> and, and sometimes you're just pretending that you don't care what people think. Anybody played that game before? You're walking into an awkward situation, and you're like, okay, pretend I don't care what people think of me. Pretend not everybody's staring at me. And you're, and you're just trying to keep your cool, right? You're trying to keep it under control. You're trying to fake some confidence. 
Sometimes you've got the confidence, but it's, it's sadly misplaced. And I won't point you out or anything, but sometimes you think you're cool and you're just, you're just not, right? But, but God offers this different kind of confidence, this true cool, this confidence of knowing that you belong to Him, of genuinely being able to move in and out of any circle. And like I said, these, the feeling may come and go. And we have to remind ourselves of this reality and begin to believe it more and more every day. Being a Christian doesn't just mean, bang, you know, all your troubles are over. But it's deepening your roots down into this reality that you belong to Him. So that you go in and out of these circles, in and out of these roles that He calls you to, whatever station in life you may have, whatever place you may have in a family or role you may have in, in the workplace. And, and you're moving in and out of these circles as God's child, as a missionary that's been sent by Him to bring grace. And you walk in and out with the confidence that you're sent by God, that you're appointed by Him to bring His blessing wherever you go. And you know you don't have it on your own, and you don't have to fake it either because you've been given it by grace, by a loving God that's adopted you, not because you're perfect, not because you have it all together, but He loves you because He's a gracious God who didn't spare His own Son but gave Him up for us to take our place, to bring us into His family. And when you believe that, then that gives you this different kind of cool, right? You don't have to fake it. And you don't have to think that you've earned it somehow by your own status, but, but it's a status he's given to you. It's a confidence that you have because you're his child. You can call out to him anytime. You're sent by him wherever he asks you to go. And then he can really use you. Then you can really begin to see some cruel things happen when God uses you wherever he takes you. The, the last thing that we see is that we have an inheritance in God's family. An inheritance in God's family. Verse 17 says... This he says, and if we really are his children, then also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's ignore that second half for a little while because that's kind of scary. Let's just talk about the being heirs, right? We have this inheritance in him. Being an heir means you have this great, these great riches as, as being an, an inheritor of the king of the universe, right? We joked earlier that, you know, you may have inherited grandma's old porcelain cookie jar, right? And that's not the kind of inheritance that we're talking about here. We're talking about the inheritance of the king of the universe, these firstborn son rights, and not just firstborn son rights of, of you know, someone poor that doesn't have much to offer, but the greatest riches you could imagine. As Paul describes, heaven more than you could ask or imagine. That's the inheritance that we have in Christ. That's the riches that we have in Him. That's what He's given to us to enjoy as His people. So we don't have to worry about our position in this life. We don't have to scrap and fight to get ahead. I had this picture here of someone sweating over bills and debts, you know, and all this stuff. That's kind of where a lot of us are right now, right? Our economy is in some of the worst shape it's ever been. And a lot of us here are isolated because a lot of people here get their earnings from, uh, from the government and from uh, the military. And so we maybe don't see it quite as bad as it is in other parts of the country. But, but we live in really uncertain times. And this uncertainty you know, is spreading throughout the whole world, really a, a world economic slowdown. And we can allow that to freak us out and make us feel like 
I know I've got to, I've got to do this, and I've got to jockey for position, and I've got to work on this, and I've got to earn more money, and I've got you know do all these things. But the gospel reminds us that we have an inheritance that's greater than all we can ask or imagine, that we have become heirs as his children. And that gives us a freedom to live with confidence, to have real life, to live with kind of an open-handedness, a generosity, where we're able to share what we have and not feel like we have to fight and scrap to, to protect and, and take care of ourselves and build our own security, but a knowledge that we're secure, a knowledge that we're taken care of. And I think that is the context that then makes sense of the second half of this verse. Like I said, that was a little more scary. Jesus said in Matthew 6:19, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Whatever you treasure in this life, whatever you are working to, to build up and to pile up and to guard and to protect in this life is, is basically your functional savior. That's, that's what you're looking for to bring you peace. That's what you're looking at to be your inheritance, to be your protection. But God tells us that we have this unending inheritance in him. And because of that, we can live freely with what we have here and now. Because of that, we can live open-handed with our money. And he says, Christians will even live open-handedly with our lives. The end of verse 17, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We look forward to glory and we're open to suffering now. We don't have to fight to protect ourselves. We don't spend our lives hoarding what we have, but we share it. We share our money, we share our time, we share the talents that God's given us. We share our friendships, we share our family. We share our, our very lives. We're willing to risk ourselves for others. Not living in self-protection, but living in generosity. Sharing what we have with others. And I think that's the big question for us. Are, are you living that way? Are you really living in freedom? We're going to look at this topic a little more next week before we start getting into the different roles that God asks us to fill in families and in workplaces over the summer. But the big question for you is, is are you living with this open-handedness, willing to share what God has given you with others? And not just money, you know, this is not just, again, another ploy, you know, the church trying to twist you to give more to some certain project, but, but with everything, with everything you've got, are you spending your talent? Are you spending your job? Are you spending your time? Are you spending your life for God's glory? That's the question. Well, I think a lot of you may, may be thinking, you know, Dave, that's, that sounds like great stuff, but, but you don't understand where I've been in life, right? Um, you, you may think, Dave, you don't understand uh, the abuse that I've been through. Dave, you don't understand the hard things that I've seen, the pain, the suffering that I've been through. And, and maybe I haven't. Maybe I haven't seen those things. Maybe I haven't lived through that. I would say that if you got to know me, you'd probably be surprised um, that I have suffered in a lot of ways you don't realize. But let's just grant that maybe I don't understand. Maybe I don't know what you've been through. I want to challenge you that, that the God of the universe does know what you've been through. That the story of the Bible is that we have a God that can sympathize with us. He understands the pain that we've been through. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. 
but one instead who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He, he suffered. He's been through abuse. He's been through horrific things. One of the last things he said on this earth was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it means to suffer. And he did that willingly for you. He gave himself for you. He was crushed for you to give his life for yours so that you can truly live, so that you can be in God's family, so that you can live with the confidence and live with the freedom as his child. No matter what circle you're called to move in and, and out of, that you are his. And that's my prayer for us, that we would really live that way, that we would believe it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for making us your children. Lord, I thank you for setting us free, enabling us to walk with you. I pray that you would continue to remake us and to use us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.